Well, good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here. Today is a historic day for our church. Uh, it really is. That's not hyperbolic because today, with the start of this message, we are officially committing to start a 25,000 square foot renovation of our church building. And you've been hearing me talk about that for a while now and talking about it kind of in generalities because uh, we, we didn't have all the details to talk about it. Um, but it's a big day. There's no turning back. And, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know the story, I know a lot of you do, but for those of you who don't know the story, we moved into this building February 12th of this year. Just a really amazing thing that God did for our, our church family together because Hope City Church, that was at the time meeting over on 3rd Street Road, had been there since 1974, uh, joined together with Harvest Church of God that was meeting in this place. And actually about 60 years before all of this, Harvest Church of God was a part of Hope City Church. They were under different names at the time. And 60 years later, God brought us back together and uh, provided us with this, this building that we are in now. And not only did we get a building, but we got some amazing families to, to join together and be a part of our, our church family. And so since that time, since February 12th, really since January 28th, but since February 12th of this year, We've been working with contractors and architects and banks to get ready to give this place a complete overhaul. And today is the day that I can tell you that it is official. In April of 2024, the construction crews will get here. They'll start the project. And you say, well, April, why so long away? Well, there's a reason. First of all, because it's construction and it takes time to get it there. But second of all, because we, they could do it a little bit sooner, they were telling us. But we asked them to wait because we want to have Easter together in our building. And so we had, we, Easter's March of next year, it's, it's early uh, in the calendar. And so we said, hey, let us have Easter together when hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people will be here. And that way, you know, we don't know, we don't want to have to try to find a spot for that. Let us have Easter. And then after Easter's done, you guys roll in and start doing your stuff, okay? And so if you're a guest with us today, you're here on a, on a big day for us as a church because we are talking about the future and we are talking about uh, this in this series that we're calling Open Hands. And so what we're doing is we're taking the next few weeks as we announce this project to specifically talk about generosity and giving. We try to, to talk about these topics at least one set of, you know, sermons a year, one series a year. And, and you can guess why we would be doing it attached to this project. It's not, a, it's not even all that spiritual. It is very practical that if a church decides that what God is leading them to do is to build or to renovate or whatever. That, that takes financial resources. That takes money. But the goal of what I'm talking about today and what we'll be talking about next week is not simply to just get money because we could, we could do that. Uh, we, we could figure out ways to just get the money. What we really are talking about underneath the surface of money is we're really talking about heart. We're talking about intention and passion. We're talking about the things that we care about. Because Jesus said something really interesting and convicting. Jesus said, whatever your treasure, whatever your money is attached to, that's also what your heart is going to be attached to, which we know is true because of all the things that 
our hearts are attached to that if we were to connect the dots, we would see we do invest a lot of money in those things. And I'm not just talking about hobbies. I'm talking about the ways that we provide for our family. Why? Because our heart's there. Uh, the, the, the way that we put money into trying to build for our future. Why? Because our heart's there, right? And so Jesus said that wherever, whatever you find your heart attached to, you're always going to find money attached to that as well. And so as we talk about our church and our project, what we're really talking about is having a heart for God's house and a heart for our city. That's what we're talking about. Because we believe that God has put a dream in our heart. God has put a vision on our heart, if you want to use that word, or a purpose on our heart. He has given us a a north star. He's given us true north on our internal compass of what we are supposed to be doing as a church. And if you've been around since we celebrated 15 years and started day one of year 16, you've heard us say this a lot, but, but we believe that God wants Hope City Church to help people live better lives, lead better families, and build a better city. We, that's, that's what we believe is our specific way that God is calling Hope City Church to be a church. All churches have several things in common that all churches should be doing, but then all, all churches also have some unique ways that they express themselves based on the, the, the way that God has put the church together. And so for us, our unique expression is believing, we believe is to is better lives and, and better families and build a better, a better city. And of course, we believe that the best way for people to live better lives and lead better families and build a better city is for as many people as possible to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's lots of other things socially you can do and um, therapeutically that you can do. and there, There's all kinds of things that can help, but we believe ultimately What helps people have better lives and better families and a better city is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to do. And that is why we are and have been working so hard to make this physical structure the kind of place where we feel like we can do that to the best of our abilities, help people live better lives and lead better families and build a better city. And so here's what we're going to do. This week... um, I'm going to talk about generosity in general. So every Christian at any time, this applies to everybody everywhere, not just Hope City Church family. This week, we're just going to talk about generosity in general. And then next week, I'm going to talk specifically about generosity towards what we're calling our Open Hands campaign. And we'll talk about that more and give you more details about that project, okay? So this week applies to Christians everywhere. We're going to talk about generosity and how Christians should think about it and practice it. And then the next week, we'll talk specifically to our church family um, about, about the specifics of, of what we're doing. And so let me just say two things right up front. Um, whenever we're talking about the topic of giving, and those of you who've been around a while, you know you've heard me say these kinds of things at the beginning of messages like this, but I want to say it again. I always want to do that, is that, you know, I've been the pastor here for 15 plus years at the church, and I have to admit, because I started so young, I was 24 when I began pastoring the church, which is insane to think about now, but... Um, here we are. And so, but I was 24. And so I, for several years, as I started pastoring the church, I was incredibly nervous and timid talking about the topic of money um, and give, giving and generosity for, for all kinds of reasons. But then something changed in me. And I'll tell you exactly what changed because I don't have to guess. I know exactly what changed. What changed in me is that I talked to you. 
I talk to you. Year after year after year, I would meet with you, and when you would tell me what was causing the most pain and pressure in your life, you know what you said it was? Money. Money. And so I had this dilemma because it was like, man, I don't know if I want to talk about it. I don't know what, I mean, I don't want to like be too like, you know, forward or I don't know. And then when I'm talking to our church family, the pressure point in their lives that's driving all pressure points is money. So that kind of freed me up. I thought, well, we'll just, you know, every preacher wants to preach something that relates to where people are. So guess where we all are trying to figure out how to manage and live to the best of our ability financially. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say this, just as my last kind of preface before I'm going to move forward this, is that only churches feel self-conscious talking about money. Only churches. You know who doesn't feel self-conscious? You know who's not having a meeting about whether or not you feel like they're being too pushy about money? Taylor Swift, um, Churchill Downs. Uh, Churchill Downs is not like, listen, guys, we, we don't want to be too pushy, okay? Let's let people feel like they're comfortable here and not be offended by the idea of money, Taylor Swift doesn't say, you know, let's lower the tickets, you know, let's, you know, that no one, Disney World, I mean, we can just keep, keep going. The marching band director at your kid's high school, the travel ball coach, your kids who just went to college, they feel no pressure to not make you feel bad about asking for money, Right? It's only churches who are self-conscious because every pastor, every church has a few stories of people that, for whatever reason, did not like what either the church was saying or what Jesus was saying about money. And uh, but there is there is something about pastoring a church for fifteen years that kind of frees you up. Like, well, okay, you know, I was here when you got here, so. So today, my hope is that there would be a freedom in the room to talk about something that every person thinks about all the time. Can we just do that? Can we just have freedom today? If you're a guest, you don't know me, so maybe you don't trust me, but I hope the rest of you trust me. Let's just have a freedom in the room today based on how you've heard me talk about everything else I've ever preached on. Let's have a freedom in the room today to just talk about a topic that everyone thinks about hours and hours and hours every day. And that's our money, and that's how we use it. And I'll give you one more heads up that at the end of the message today, I am going to challenge you. I'm going to push you a little bit, which I do all the time. But I'm going to do that specifically in this this area, too, to take a step forward in generosity. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll, We'll get to that. Okay, so Betty read two sections of Scripture for us today from 2 Corinthians. Um, And and these Scriptures that we read— are the longest discourse in the New Testament about the topic of giving. Now, we know Jesus talked about it a lot, more than any other topic. 2,300 times in the Bible, the, the, the you know, generosity giving money is brought up. But in the New Testament, this particular section in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is the longest discord in the New Testament about the issue of the topic of, of generosity, and if you're, if you're curious, like the context, what's happening is, is that Paul is writing to, to new-ish Christians in Corinth, kind of the Roman Empire, who have some means. They have some money, and there's a famine in Judea, and those Christians don't really have as much. And so Paul is writing about the role that the church plays in giving to meet needs. This is why he's talking about that. 
And uh, he's talking to people with some means who love Jesus to help people without means who, who love Jesus as well. And so, so much we could say. I got a lot I want to get to. I've already used up a lot of my time. So I'm going I'm to talk fast today. If you're a note taker, you're going to you're gonna have writer's cramp, all right? Um, but these passages show us three things, and we're going to hit them, and then I really want to get to the end so we can get practical, okay? First, we see three things. We see the reason we don't give, number one. Number two, we see the reason we do give. And then number three, we see the way that we should give. So we see the reason we don't give. We see the reason that we do give. And then we see the way that we should give. Okay, you with me? Why we don't give, why we should give, and the way we should give. Okay, so let's look at each one of those. First, let's talk about the reason or the reasons we don't give. The reasons we don't give, or the reason we don't give. And we find that answer in several different places in our verses. For example, verse 8, we read in that first passage, Paul said to the Corinthians, I am not commanding you. I'm not commanding you. And then later he says that each person should give, he says, what they decided to give in their heart. And then he, he tells them later on, he says, to not give reluctantly or under compulsion. So lots of different spots here. Paul says, I'm not commanding you. Give what you've decided in your heart. Don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it under compulsion. So it's very clear that the reason that Christians don't give, our motivation for giving, should not be and cannot be because we feel pressured or guilted into it. So we got to start right there. In the longest discourse about giving in the New Testament, Paul makes it very clear, please do not give because someone talked you into doing it or you felt guilty or you felt pressured, or they put you know, starving orphans on the screen, or any of those things. Don't, that's not the reason that we give. And you know, I think that's important because it's easy to feel, if you're not someone who is a consistently generous person in your faith, it's easy to feel the, about giving the way that we're all starting to feel about the tipping epidemic in like food industry. So I mean, any offense to anybody who works behind a counter in the food industry, but everybody knows that feeling when you go to a counter and order a meal that used to cost $8.75, now it costs $14, and then you put your card in, and then there's this awkward thing where they go, they turn the iPad to you and they go, it's going to ask you some questions. And you know that they know that you know what the question is. What's the question? How much would you like to tip? And listen, you love Jesus and you want to be a good person, but be honest, you're thinking, what did you do? I don't understand what, what you did. Again, no offense if this is what you do for a living, because we, we want to be generous, we want to tip. But you know that feeling you feel? It's like, you don't want to give a tip, but how close are they looking? You know, because like with the pizza delivery guy, I know me and him are going to have to make eye contact for like 10 seconds. And so if I don't tip, that's going to be awkward. But it can feel that way about generosity sometimes. Like, hey, everybody, I just want to talk to you about giving today. I'm going to ask you some questions. And you're like, how much do you need? That's not what the Bible teaches about generosity. Paul says over and over again, Jesus modeled for us over and over again, that you get to decide. Yeah. It's your choice. And you don't do it under compulsion or out of guilt. And uh, 
in order to really believe this, because a lot of you don't believe me, you're like, okay, but then what's on the backside? In order to believe this, the, what you have to believe is, is that God has all the money. So the reason that God puts no pressure on you to give is because he has all the money. It's all his. He has it all. All the money's God's. And, uh, and when you truly believe that, no matter what you make at your job or no matter what you're looking at giving or not giving, when you truly believe that, that you know what? All the money is God's. Then you can understand why God feels no need to pressure you to give anything because he doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. But he, he, he encourages and convicts us and challenges us to give because he loves you and he knows the power of greed and the pain of poverty That's, that, that affects our lives. So please hear the difference. God does not pressure you to give because he needs your money. He has all the money. God challenges you and convicts you to give because he loves you and he knows the pressure of, of poverty in your life and the power of greed in your life. And so it's important you believe that. He doesn't need anything from you. He has all the money, but he does invite you to live free from the crippling pressure of, of money. All right? Now, let me say one more thing about this, about this whole idea that I thought was so interesting all week as I was reading through this. One of the things that I thought was so interesting was that this is the only time in the Bible where Paul or Jesus or someone says, hey, I'm not commanding you. Because all throughout the Bible, they are commanding. There's no verse that says, hey, listen, I'm not commanding you to be faithful to your spouse. I just want you to do it. There's no verses in the Bible that say, hey, I'm not commanding you not to steal. No matter of fact, there are commandments. They're called the 10 of them that says don't steal. And so the Bible over and over again says, here's a command. Here's a law. Here's a rule. Here, like, it very clearly says, I am commanding you. Honor your father and mother. So why would Paul, in this instance, why would Paul say, I am commanding you to be faithful to your spouse, but why would he say, I'm not commanding you to feel as if you have to give? I've, I've asked myself that question all week this week. I've got an answer, I think. But I've asked myself that question all week because that's, that's unique. It's the only place. And I think the reason is because that with all the other sins that we could list, just pick one, you know, that we, that we would all agree is a sin. In each of those instances, the person who is doing it knows they're sinning. A person who is committing adultery, just using that example that we've been using, knows they're committing adultery. A person who's stealing knows they're stealing, right? So just if you pick one person who's murdering, knows they're murdering. If we're just using the, you know, Ten Commandments. But greed is the only sin that the person committing it doesn't actually know they're doing it. Why don't you think about that? Greed is the, I've, in all my years of ministry, pastoring, no one's ever confessed greed to me. Not once ever. And they're able to identify all kinds of other people who are greedy. But they never feel as if they're greedy. And so I think the reason that Paul says this is because only you can know the desire that you have to give. 
I can't know that. You could write a six-figure check and put it in the offering and be as greedy as an embezzling banker on Wall Street. But if I'm gauging just based on amount, I would say, like, they are so generous. That may not be true. How would I know? There's no way for me to know. Only you could know. And so I think the reason that Paul can't command us and the reason the Bible doesn't command us is because if you're made to give but you don't want to give, you're not actually conquering greed, right? We, we say it like this, that you can give and not be generous, but you cannot be generous and not give. That's like a little tongue twister. Let's say it again. You can give and not be generous. So let's stop right there. I hope you know that. You could give but actually not be a generous person. You just have the means to do it. But you cannot be generous and not give. Those are because they're not the same thing. And so that's why we don't give. We don't give because someone made us. God leaves it up to us because only we can know how badly we want to do it and why we want to do it, those things are only known to us. So that's the, first, that's the reason we don't give. We see it in these verses is because we're made to or we're pressured to. But we do see now, again, the reason that we do give. So we know why we don't, but the reason that we do give, it says in verse 9, it uses the example of Jesus. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul gives us the reason why we give, and he's not trying to Jesus juke you. You know, everybody, anybody ever done that to you? Like, you have a question about life, and they're like, well, you know, Jesus, and they throw something out there that makes you feel like a terrible human being? That's called a Jesus juke. And so what Paul is not saying is like, oh, you don't want to give? Well, Jesus came, and he gave his life for you. So, oh, you know, that's fine. You don't want to give? That's fine. But Jesus did. That's not what Paul's saying. What he's doing is he's trying to bring us back to, because every person who's a Christian believes what we just read, that Christ was rich, he was God, he laid that aside, he came, he became like us, he became poor, he became a servant, he died a sinner's death. We all believe that if we're a Christian. And so Paul comes back and he says to us, it's not just believing that doesn't just save you, it also changes the way that you think about giving and generosity and meeting needs. The gospel gets into every part of your life. And so you can take what Jesus did and lay it over top of any issue you have in your life and see how Jesus' example helps us to free up our heart to do it. And so Paul's reminding us here that all of Christianity is based on generosity. Jesus met your need by giving his life. And that's how a need is always met by someone giving. Let me say that again. The way that God has set up the world the way that a need is always met is through someone else giving. And Jesus is the ultimate example of that. And so for a Christian to not give is somewhat of a contradiction because the reason that we're able to be Christians is because someone gave. You with me? This is what he's trying to say. This isn't a Jesus juke, an uppercut to knock you out. He's trying to say, listen, your whole faith is built on the fact that someone gave. So now that you believe in that faith, how, do you not, how are you not compelled to be a giver when the reason that you have the faith is because, you know it, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he made? No. He gave. He gave. 
And so this is why at Hope City, we believe in a concept called grace giving. I love that. I made it up. I made that phrase up last year. We did a series last uh, December called grace giving. And I'll write a book on it one day. I love that phrase. I love that idea so much. Because like you, I grew up in church my whole life. I'm fourth generation preacher's kid. And I heard every different sermon about money every different way. And, and, I, and I always give the benefit of the pastor doing his best to explain the best he feels like he can. But I don't know that I ever understood that God, I don't know that I ever truly believed and understood that I don't have to give a cent to God. I don't have to give a penny to God. Maybe you're here today and you're still waiting on the other shoe to drop for what I'm going to say. I'm just letting you know right now, you do not have to give a penny to God. That, that your giving in no way affects the reason, the way, why God saved you. He did all the giving. You did all the taking. That's what it means to be a Christian. That you are a receiver. You are not an earner. God did all the giving. And so giving earns me no more status with God than I already have. He cannot love me anymore because I'm more generous. He, that's not the way that it works. And so grace giving says that while giving has no effect on my eternal life, it does affect the quality of my life. My motivation makes all the difference. Giving has no effect on my eternal life. That's grace. Grace, 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 grace. But giving does affect the quality of my life. This is kind of our theme verse for open hands, and we'll spend more time talking about it next week, but Proverbs 11, 24 um, is the verse that says, one gives freely, they live with open hands, yet grows all the richer. And that richer there does mean financially rich, but it also means like the quality of your life rich. Another withholds, close hands, what he should give and only suffers want. It's a powerful verse. Powerful verse. One gives freely, yet the quality of their life gets better. Another withholds, and they're always wanting. And this is grace giving, that we give because of grace. We give because we're compelled by grace. We don't have to, we want to. And that's what it means to be a cheerful giver. Because the way grace has changed my life and because of my joy, I want to give. And this requires a mentality change that every Christian must go through. And we're going to throw this up on the screen for you, but I want, I want you to see kind of three mentalities about giving, all right? Three mentalities about giving. So before you even decide to be, if maybe like if you're not someone who's a giver, you, you don't even have a mentality about giving. Your mentality about giving is like, I'm not doing it. But when you do finally begin to consider doing it, there's kind of a process you go through mentality-wise, and it's this. Your first thought is, I've got to give. i got to do it. Well, Jason preached on it. Well, they're renovating that building. Well, you know, he Jesus juked me. I guess I got to. Here you go. That's the first kind of way that you think about it. But then the second way, hopefully, eventually, through the help of the Holy Spirit, you say, well, okay, I don't have to do it, but he did tell me if I do it, that guy was going to hook me up. So now I'm going to give to get. So first I've got to give. Then I'm like, I'll oh, hold up just one second. If I keep giving... I'm going to keep getting. So I'm going to give to get. That's the second way. And that is true to a certain extent. It's better than the first one. But where we want to get to as Christians is I get to give. I don't got to give. I don't even give to get. I get to give. That's grace giving. That's grace giving. 
And we give to help meet needs because Jesus gave to meet our need. We give because we've experienced the grace of God in such a dramatic way that we want to do it. We don't have to do it. We want to do it. And so that's why we should give. Not because someone made us or because we feel guilty, but because when, when it says cheerful giver, it's because there's an overflowing joy from our hearts because of what we know to be true about Jesus Christ. So let's look at one more thing. So we, we don't give under pressure. We give because of grace. But the last thing that we can see in these verses is the way that we should give. And so maybe you're here and you're convinced Christians should be givers. You're like, okay, I'm following you. And you want to give. Like, okay, I'm ready to maybe take a step. How should you give? How much should you give? What's the right way to give? These are practical questions. And this is my favorite part of this topic. It's my favorite part of all the verses today. And we can't read all of it, but I'm just going to read a little bit of 10, 11, and 12. Paul says, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means, for the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. This is grace giving. This is beautiful. In essence, Paul says that you can be eager to give, but not willing to give. So you can just year after year after year, you can be like, well, I really want to, but I can't. So that would be eager, but not willing, is one of the scenarios he gives us. And he says, you could be willing to give, but not complete it. That's another place we find ourselves. I was eager. I was willing. But like, I did a little bit, but I didn't complete it. I didn't follow through. But all three should be true. We should be eager, willing, and follow through on our willingness. And this is the best part. If you do, if that is your posture, if that is your mentality, I'm eager to do it. I'm willing to do it, and I'm going to follow through and complete it. If that is your mentality and your posture, according to what we read today, whatever you decide to do is the right thing to do. It's acceptable. That's what he means when he says it's, it's an acceptable gift. You're eager to do it. You're willing to do it. You follow through on it. And I just think that's amazing, that God doesn't give you a number, which some of us would rather him just do that. He doesn't give you a number. You say, wait a second, what about tithing? We'll get to that in a second. God doesn't give you a number. Let me say it one more time. God does not give you a number. He doesn't give you a requirement. Instead, he says, what's more important than how much you give is how much you want to give. What we're reading today, Paul is saying, I'm not concerned about what you are giving. I'm concerned about how much you, you, not how much you want as in quantity, but how badly you want to give. How badly you want to give. And only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. So ask yourself three questions about this. Are you eager to do it? As we're talking about, is there an eagerness? Are you eager to do it? Are you willing to do it? Have you done it? Are you eager to do it? Are you willing to do it? Have you done it? And if you can answer yes, no matter what the amount is, you're giving in the right way. 
If you're eager and you're willing and you're doing it and you're following through, you're doing it in the right way. And you could write a large check and be, not ha- and, and be unhappy about it and God would say, I don't want it. It's not acceptable. It's the whole story of the widow. And I've told this story before many times. You're probably sick of hearing it. But many, many years ago, we, uh, there was a couple in our church. There was a married couple in our church. And the wife wanted to start giving. And she talked to me about it. And I encouraged her to take that step. But the husband was like, no, I ain't doing it. And somehow she wore him down. You know, however they do that, she wore him down. And he walked up to me and he handed me a check for $2,000. And he went, he kind of like shoved it on me. He's like, here. And I was like, oh, man, wow. He's like, yeah, my wife said you told her we should be doing it, so here. And I folded it up, and I handed it back to him, and I said, we're not going to take it. He said, what? I said, you don't want to give it. You're mad about it already. You ain't even, ain't even put it in the bank yet, and you're mad about it. Just keep it. He's like, huh? I said, That's not the point of what I was saying. Just keep it. I want you to want to do it. So are you eager? Are you willing? Have you done it? Okay, so I got just maybe a few minutes left. We've seen what these passages say about generosity, why we don't, why we do, how we should do it. So what I want to do for these last few minutes is I want to get really practical. I don't want to get really honest with you. Because the way that God designed Christian generosity to function is that Christians give to God through their local church. This goes all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament before they were using a a, a money currency. They would kill animals and bring the meat to the temple. That was the way they gave the offering. And then as civilization has moved on and on and on and on and on, whatever the economy is of the society and the culture, that's what people bring to the church or the temple as the way that they give to God. I just remember as a kid, all my stories run together. I'm sure I've said this too, but I just remember as a kid, you know, they would say, you're giving it to God. And then they would take the offering buckets back to the back room. and I could never figure out how God would get it. Like I was just always thinking, (laughs) you have no idea my mind as a kid. And uh, I'm just thinking, how does God get it? Like, I just thought like, it was like one of those bank suction tunnels. (laughs) I had no idea. Anyway, so they just always kept saying, like, we're giving it to God. We're giving it to God. And I'm like, you're taking it in the back room. I don't know how it <laughs> happens. Anyway, um, one of these days I need to do a sermon about all the questions I had as a kid about church. But anyway, so um, this is the way God designed it. Whatever the, whatever, the, whatever the currency of the society is, Christians bring that to the church as the way that they give to God. And then God uses that currency that is given to build his church. In any society and in any place, at any time, that's the way that it has been laid out from 6,000 B.C. to where we are today, okay? And so if generosity is how God builds the church, it would be fair to say that a church moves forward at the pace of generosity. If the way that God builds a church is through the generosity of the Christians in that church family, then it would be fair to say that a church moves forward at the pace of generosity. And so where you find a church where people are generous, you will find a church that's moving forward, making progress, making a difference. Because not only do they have the heart to do it, they have the resources to do it. 
because that's the way that God set it up. And where you find a church where people aren't generous, you will find a church that isn't moving forward. And so I want to brag on you for a moment that according to our records, and there's no exact science to this because we don't know what kind of money you make, but according to our records, we know that about 35% of our church family tithes. Tithes just means uh, it's a biblical concept from the Old Testament that Jesus referenced in the New Testament. It's not a requirement anymore, but, but it just means 10. So tithing means 10%, your first 10% of your income you give to the church. That's what it means to tithe, if you're unfamiliar with that phrase. And so according to our records, our best guess, 35% of our church tithes. And I don't know how you feel when you hear that number. Maybe that sounds low to you, like 35%. Or maybe that sounds really high to you, like 35% of people are giving 10% of their income? I don't know how you feel about that. But what if I told you that the national average for church members who tithe So national average across the United States for the tithing percentage of a church body is somewhere between 10 to 25%. 10 to 25%. Now, the reason I bring that up is because first, I just want to point out that you are an incredibly generous church. You are above average. And I want to say thank you because you're better than everybody else. (laughs) It's not a contest, but if it was, we'd be winning. But it's not a contest. We're just here for the fellowship. But I want you to think about that 35% number for just a second. Because while it's above the national average, it means that if, if it's true that a church moves forward at the pace of generosity, then it means that our church currently is only able to help people live better lives, lead better families, and build a better city at 35% of what we could do. It means that when God gives us an idea or a passion to make a difference, we can only do it at 35% of what we could do it at. And I want you to just let that sink in for just a second. Maybe there's this cynical, skeptical hesitation, like, no, that's not true. You could do it at 100. No, you only have what you have. And so church moves at the pace of generosity. The average of our church is 35%, which means whatever we believe inspired or prompted or whatever by God to do, that means that whenever we go to do it, we are functioning at 35% of our capacity to do it. And yet still... Our church is freaking amazing. And so think about that. That this church that we all love and think is amazing is functioning at 35%. What could we do? What amazing things could God do? What lives could be changed? What families could be impacted? What could be better in this city? What could we do at 50%? What could we do it at 75%? What could we do at 100%? We would be potentially three times more capable, three times more effective. Because we go to shoot our, this is the image that came to my mind last night. We go to shoot our water gun and we've pumped it 35%. And it just trickles out. 
And then I just thought about, like, what would it look like if we pumped that thing to the max? Because church moves at the pace of generosity. And so I I could definitely stand up here and tell you that you should give because it helps the church, because it does. But we see something else in our verses today that is crucially important, that giving doesn't just benefit the church, it benefits you. That's what it says. It said, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Do you believe that? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He who he supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food also is able to increase your store of seed. Will enlarge your harvest for your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And generosity will result in thanksgiving for God. Plain and simple, God blesses giving. You don't just do it for us. You do it for you, too. And when you decide to make the sacrifice to give, God blesses your life in ways he does not bless your life when you don't give. That's a fact. That's a fact. That's not a, that's not a, that's not a sales tactic. That's a fact that when you decide to make the sacrifice to give, God blesses your life in ways he does not bless your life when you don't give. doesn't love you any less. You don't have any better standing or worse standing with him. Your eternity is secure, but your life is different than when you give and when you don't give. There's a different joy, a different blessing, a different gratitude for people who give than who don't. And so I've gone way over my time. You're going to have to really rush and get your kids in a second, in a couple of songs. But I, I want to end today by challenging you. I want to end today by challenging you. You got my ladder? Who's got the ladder? Thank you. Oh, that's kind of coming out from the back there. So I'm going to challenge you today, and I want to give you a visual to, 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 to help our minds kind of comprehend Thank you, David. Here, turn it around so they can see it. Sorry. Well, I, yeah, that's good. All of us today are somewhere on the generosity ladder. All of us today are. Some of you in, in the room, I got a little bit there. Some of us in the room have never given to God through Hope City Church, ever. And so for you to take a, a step today on the generosity ladder, I'm going to hurt myself, for you to take a step on the generosity ladder today would be to simply say, I've never done it, but I'm going to do it. First time. But then some of you today, you, you, you have done that before, and the step that you need to take is not to just be a, I did it one time, but the step that you need to take is to be, is to be, uh, more consistent, like to, to do it occasionally. I've, I've never been consistent in it. It's just like, a, I'll just, whenever they turn the iPad around, maybe every now and then. <laughs> but you say, okay, I'm going to move. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be, I, I haven't been consistent, but I'm going to try, try, try to do that. I'm, I'm, I haven't been, I'm, I'm going to take that step. But then some of you, you, you are occasional in it. And the step that you need to take is to have a plan and to be intentional and saying, we are doing this and we're sticking to it. Whatever it is that you decide to do. This is what we're making a commitment. And as sure as the world, as soon as I make that commitment, I will have 50 good reasons to break that commitment. But I'm not going to break it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be intentional. And then, and then there's some intentional givers in the room. The step that you need to take is tithing. 10%. 10%. You say, like, not only is it part of our historical Christian tradition, but it's also just good math, and it just helps me. If I want to give 10%, i got to get my other 90% in order. Yeah. 
You gotta get that thing organized. And so, and so some of you, this is the step that you need to take. And I would say actually a lot of you that you're like, I, I don't know all the numbers, but I would say a lot of our churches right here. And this is the step you need to take. But then there's one more step. And that's what we call open hands. And we're gonna talk a lot more about this next week. But open hands says even above and beyond because I'm eager and I'm willing and grace has impacted my life. I give above and beyond tithing. And so I don't know where you are in this process and I don't know what step you need to take, but here's what I'm asking you to do today. Take a step, take a step. Maybe it's first time, occasional, intentional tithing, open hands, but take a step. I had three stories I was gonna read from people in the church, but I'm just gonna pick one because we're out of time. But I asked a few families in the church who I know because I've walked with them on this journey who have, who have taken this step and they actually took the step right here to start tithing. Terrified tithers, that's what we'll call them. <laughs> Eager and willing, but freaking out. And they decided to take this step. And I just wanna read you one of these stories. This family said, uh, we decided to start tithing after we made the decision to better manage our finances as a couple around the time we were getting married. First step in this process was attending Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, which we actually think like 20 or 25 tithing families in our church started tithing through FPU. So I think that's amazing. At that time, we had some student loan debt, car payments, revolving credit card debt, and we weren't really saving any money. We quickly built an emergency fund, and then we wanted to tackle paying off all our debt. When the conversation around tithing was brought up, it seemed silly to give 10% when we felt that we barely had enough money in the first place, and we're supposed to just take 10% off the top? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Couldn't we just wait until we made more money? Couldn't we just wait until we paid off student loans? Couldn't we just wait until we were in a better place financially? It was crazy to think giving 10% of our income would somehow bless us in the future, but we were so wrong. When we took the leap of faith and started tithing, it was very scary. We would see the money go out on a monthly basis and would think about all the other things we could have done with that money. Not to mention, we were giving more than we could even put away for savings. But then the blessing started rolling in. There were so many blessings that occurred in our life that we couldn't explain, so we just kept tithing. There were also so many instances when finances were a major concern, but we just kept the faith and never stopped tithing. We certainly thought about it, or not tithing one month and then trying to make up for it later, but our faith has always prevailed and God has continued to bless us, and we have never, quote, ran out of money because of tithing. God has never failed us, and that's easy to forget when times are challenging. Fast forward almost nine years after we made the decision to start tithing, and we feel like we have been blessed tenfold. A few of those blessings include new jobs, paying off student loans, buying a new car, paying it off, paying out of pocket for grad school, new house, healthy kids, no debt, and even becoming a one-income household. My wife was able to stay home with the kids for three years. That didn't come without sacrifice, but provided us a whole other list of blessings Tithing has become a way of life for us. It's part of our Christian journey. And it's not about how much you have. It's about managing what God has already blessed you with. I could read you 40 stories like that. But you'll never believe me until you do it yourself and try it yourself. So I just want you to take a step. Wherever you are, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have the opportunity to take communion today. And you're like, well, man, communion when we're talking about giving, what's that about? It's, it's about this. Jesus was rich. 
When you take that bread and you dip it in that juice, you remember he became poor. He gave to meet my need. He gave to meet my need. And so we'll take communion. We'll have the opportunity to pray with our prayer team about any, anything going on in your life that you would like to pray about. But my prayer for you today is that you would take a step on the generosity ladder. And let's be a part of what God is doing in this church family. Okay? Let's pray.